Chapter Eleven, Part One, of Guide to the Study of the Christian Religion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Guide to the Study of the Christian Religion, edited by Gerald Burney Smith. Chapter Eleven, Part One, Christianity and Social Problems. The Social Evolution of Christianity. The development of the Hebrew religion. The Old Testament supplies materials for a history of the growth of the Hebrew people, its evolution from tribal conditions to its incorporation into the Roman Empire. These fragmentary documents are themselves composed of varied notices of the land, population, industries, domestic experiences, trade, art, customs, sentiments, laws, governments, wars, and treaties of Palestine and neighboring countries. They reflect the state of knowledge, the superstitions, the changing policies, the ceremonies, philosophies, and beliefs of the people at different periods. The ideas of God which came into expression are affected by all these experiences of persons of many degrees of ethical and spiritual ripeness. The later editors of the books sought to reduce the apparent inconsistencies more or less consciously, but many anomalies remain, fortunately for a better understanding of the real course of progress. Specialists in Hebrew literature and history must be consulted for the details. For our present purpose it must suffice to indicate a few results of the process. The conception of God which emerged out of the long struggle is central, the idea of the one almighty creator of heaven and earth, righteous himself and requiring righteousness in heart and conduct of all men, caring little for ceremonies, everything for justice, mercy, and humble piety and demanding obedience to holy law in all relations of life, domestic, commercial, political. The narrow popular conceptions, the fiercely patriotic narrowness of certain parties, the materialistic and catastrophic expectations of the Messiah as avenger and restorer of Israel, modify and pollute these lofty conceptions, but do not altogether obliterate them. Here and there, visions of international moral and religious comity, and even of immortality, widen the horizon of thought. THE MESSAGE OF JESUS Jesus brought to consciousness the infinite worth of personality in communion with God the Father. Compared with the blessedness of fellowship with God, all other interests seem to him secondary, and might be postponed. The essentials are in the Beatitudes, mercy, peace, humility, purity of heart. Jesus was not ascetic not indifferent to the hunger, the pain, and the joy of this life, but he insisted on the supreme and all-inclusive good, whatever else deserved consideration. He did not attempt to make laws, nor to organize a church or government. He promulgated no social program. Yet when his views of God, of friendship, of holiness, of virtue, of the boundless worth of a person, are accepted, the seeds of social revolution and progress are planted. THE PRIMITIVE CHURCH the early followers of Jesus huddled together for mutual protection, dreading the coming storm of persecution, and attracted also by the enthusiasm of devotion to the ascended Lord. They apparently misapprehended Jesus' words about a swiftly coming kingdom, and even pulled wires to make sure of prominent offices. They believed that the world without was soon to fall with a crash, crowns and thrones, merchandise and art, far-seeing plans of improvement, were out of the question, too unimportant for them to consider. Most of the early Christians were of the petty trading class, if not wretched slaves. Few distinguished men of state or learning at first deigned to notice them. 
They lived in small circles of intimates. Their philanthropy was expressed in almsgiving with a few simple rules to prevent abuses. It was not worth while to try to save the institutions of society or to try to mend them. All would soon be consumed, and a new earth emerge out of the flames. We look in vain for any large constructive policy under such conditions. Yet the ferment of divine friendship was there, and the little congregation became the nurseries of sentiments which one day would dominate the policies of nations. Time passed. Knowledge enlarged with experience. The heavens did not depart as a scroll. The churches were welded together by the bishops into organized institutions. The authorities of the empire were compelled to pay attention to the new society, even when they persecuted it. Constantine and the Latin Church the reign of Constantine marks a new epoch, the recognition of the church by the government, the beginning of ecclesiastical inflexibly and gradually grew naturally out of the ancient system. When the center of sovereignty was transferred to Constantinople, the bishop of the Eternal City stood alone in Italy as the representative of this ideal, and men of genius were ready to take advantage of the opportunity for the greater glory of God. As the legions turned from the north defeated, Missionaries, by martyrdom, charity, learning, pomp, and mystery, carried the ancient culture to the Teutons, and Charlemagne tried to learn to write Latin and to establish a sort of university at his court. But native Teutonic culture was never extinguished. It entered with new factors into the movement of civilization, developed the free spirit of cities, and gradually a nation. Kept on its own course in civil and criminal law, with Roman grafts on its rude strong trunk of custom, created its own literature finally broke with roman control into the humanist and reformation movements and aspired to supreme influence in the science and trade of mankind medieval thought in this long and complicated process the doctrines the feelings the ideals the institutions which were called christianity were all modified the bible was quoted by all parties but by none with the exact primitive meaning both Plato and Aristotle profoundly influenced the theologians, as is seen in Aquinas and Dante. They contributed political, economic, ethical, and even religious ideas too valuable to be lost. The Church, from its origin down, had leaders of sufficient learning and ability to discover and appreciate these classical elements, and to utilize them. They justified themselves for this borrowing process on various grounds, but the significant fact is that they borrowed without stint or scruple, and our Christianity is immensely richer for their studies. THE RENAISSANCE When, with the Renaissance, the Greek literature was brought to Italy, the ecclesiastics went mad over profane and even unclean classics. The storm broke out again, and when it cleared, the classics at times almost displaced the Bible in Europe and America as the substantial material of academic culture. The assimilation of the ancient ideas is so complete that we read them into the simplest parables of Jesus and into the rabbinical metaphysics of Paul, often to the concealment of their real meaning. The critical operation of dissecting out the originals of our stocks of ethical and theological conceptions is not yet complete. Since all that is true emanates from the one Holy Spirit who dwelt in Jesus, we may enjoy our full heritage without anxiety about the human sources. All things are Christ's. Christ is God's. The Reformation The Reformers helped to liberate human spirits from bondage to ecclesiastical absolutism, and to seek a direct and personal communion with God by a living faith. In matters pertaining to church and state, the Lutherans and the Calvinists parted company, the latter making a larger contribution to the activity of the church in the affairs of daily life. Neither entirely escaped from the delusion that religious orthodoxy can be enforced by political power, 
neither quite attained confidence in the self-evidencing truth of religion as a personal experience. Instead of relying on a pope, they leaned on a book for a prop of infallibility. But devout men, whether Catholic, Lutheran, Calvinist, or sectarian, all possessed within themselves a life which proceeded immediately from God, and was not at the mercy of changes of creed or church. THE ASSIMILATING POWER OF CHRISTIANITY One of the distinctive features of Christianity is its power of assimilation without loss of its genius. Hinduism appropriates and swallows up in the gulf of nihilism all sorts of faiths. Christianity assimilates novel and diverse elements from Palestine, Greece, Rome, and the Far Orient, yet without failing to assert uncompromisingly the holiness of the supreme God, the redemption which sinful men need, and the hope of personal immortality which gives value to time. Christianity as a Contemporary System of Beliefs, Life, Institutions To the historical student, contemporary Christianity reveals many elements, some of them contradictory, which have come down to us from many sources. It would be easy to show that the doctrines of the churches of today are not in a single instance precisely those of the early Christians, that the various ceremonies and modes of administration which characterize multiplied sects could not all be those of the apostolic church. If we attempted literally to go back to Jesus in the sense of believing and teaching what can be found in his words, we should be poorer than we are. For evil and for good, every age, experience, system, debate, and organization of the past has left its precipitate in our institutions, convictions, customs, and modes of thinking. The problem is not to find and keep what was known to the primitive churches, but what is true, valuable, workable now. No one who really believes in Christ can ever fear that a new truth will contradict his fundamental ideals. No one who intelligently repeats the creed, I believe in the Holy Ghost, can fear to trust him who is guide into all truth. No one should pretend, by legerdemain and juggling with words, to deduce his social science from biblical texts. He will do well to live in spiritual contact with lawgivers and prophets, with the apostles, and with Jesus most of all. But he wrongs these by asking them to describe, explain, and interpret the phenomena of all lands, peoples, and ages so as to make investigation superfluous, and to give countenance to intellectual indolence. Religion is life in the realm of values, above the causal series whose unbroken iron chain belongs to the domain of the sciences, including history and all social sciences. There is sharp conflict the moment the seer assumes the role of statistician and statesman. Nothing is more pitiful than the solemn tricks some devout biblical students have played with the cryptic symbols of Daniel and the dream of Patmos, and the equally mistaken attempt to evolve from a spiritual maxim of Jesus a legal constitution for family, republic, or industrial system. Biblical exegesis cannot be substituted for social science. It is only fair to call attention to the fact that the conclusion here stated is entirely opposed to the position of many excellent writers who think that we can find in the words of Jesus an answer to all the social questions of our age. The revelation of God in the Bible was never intended to be a substitute for common sense, invention, and investigation according to the requirements of changing situations. The proof of this statement is found first of all in the utter failure of merely exegetical studies to throw light on any modern problem, save by furnishing fundamental ideals and religious inspiration. The businessman who selected his investments by reference to scripture texts would soon go bankrupt. The Canadian farmer who treated the descriptions of Palestinian agriculture in the Psalms as authority for his plowing and planting would perish with his children on the fertile prairie of the Northwest. The statesman who consulted the Pentateuch 
or the parables of the new testament for direction in drawing up statutes of social legislation would never be returned to the legislature he would probably be sent to a hospital for the mentally disturbed the disappointments which have befallen those who have tried to foretell events by interpreting the apocalypse are familiar to all students of church history principles of righteousness in morals and religion are christian even though they cannot be explicitly and verbally drawn from old or new testament finding a teaching good is a discovery of a revelation of the will of the father no matter how new unless christ is dead as his enemies claim he is doing something now he is not threshing out dry chaff nor moving in a circle like a blind animal turning a wheel he is the everlasting creator it is his spirit which is guiding into new truth and some day we shall realize that this is the final and only adequate explanation of those great and growing creations which we call science art and progress end of chapter eleven part one